My favorite fiction book of all time is To Kill a Mockingbird. The story is told through the eyes of a six-year-old girl. Her name is Scout, who lives during the Great Depression in this little town of Macomb, Alabama. But it's really a story about her father. <clears throat> it's, her father is a lawyer, and he is defending a black man who is wrongly accused of raping a young white woman. When the father of the young white woman found out that his daughter liked a black man, he couldn't accept this, and so he beat her. And then he falsely accused this young black man of raping her. Sadly, during the time of the Great Depression, racism was the norm and widely accepted. And even though Scout's father, Atticus, makes a strong and impassioned defense, the jury only sees through the lens of racism. Even though all the evidence points to the father beating his daughter, the jury ignores the truth and the evidence presented and convicts this young man, and this young man is sent to jail. It is a very powerful story where you cannot help but just be angry and disgusted that an innocent man is condemned for something he didn't do. This innocent man's life is stolen, right, from him because of another person's false witness. This morning, we're going to look at the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Please turn with me to Exodus 20. We're going to read all Ten Commandments. You're going to find that on page 61 in the Black Bibles. Exodus 20. And if you remember the last time I preached, we talked about how the Ten Commandments can be, best be summarized by loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, right? Keep this in mind as we read these Ten Commandments again. Read with me. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. <clears throat> and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a card, carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, 
or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This morning, I have two points that we will consider as we look at this commandment. And this is our outline. Number one, what does it mean to bear false witness? And number two, what is truth? What I want to communicate to you this morning is that our words should reflect the character of God in that he is just and that he is truth so that he would be most glorified in our hearts and with those we interact. So as an introduction, let me say that the commandment, you shall not bear false witness, in simple terms means you shall not lie. There are many ways to lie, but two ways that I want to focus on where we can lie is as a witness in the judicial system or in the judicial sense and in our daily lives, in our daily lives. This commandment of God to not bear false witness is not anything new or too different from the principles that other societies and cultures have tried to follow. Speaking truth and giving truthful testimony has been a standard from the beginning of time, not only in Judaism or in Christianity, but also in other religions and cultures. Speaking truth um, is something that has been highly regarded. Various laws um, in certain cultures and religions, such as Mesopotamia or Rome or Babylon, recognize the standard and reliability of the witness. A witness is someone who observes or sees and gives an account of what they have seen, right? It's pretty simple. The importance of speaking truth and being consistent in what they say and witness was of the highest priority in other cultures, not just in the Israelite culture. In fact, the value of speaking truth and being consistent was so important that punishment or consequence for breaking such a standard were severe flogging, maiming, or even death. In fact, sociologists have said that the assurance of truthful testimony is essential for human survival. So for society to be successful and function appropriately, there has to be order. Truthfulness has to prevail. And commitment to justice must be upheld as this sets the moral tone for society. Makes you wonder the direction our society is going on or going in this day, right? With all the fake news and moral relativism and social justice or injustice, you are seeing and we are witnessing what happens when society breaks down in upholding truth as a standard or virtue. We're beginning to see that more and more. So first, let us consider what it means to bear false witness according to Scripture. As I said earlier, a simple definition of what it means to bear false witness is to report things of others unjustly, right? It means that you are lying. In the Israelite culture, you were held accountable for your words against another. I'm sure you've all heard 
the English rhyme, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? Well, this is not true. Words do hurt. They really hurt. As you would smite or strike with a sword, bearing false witness or slandering is smiting or striking with your tongue. Proverbs 25 says, A man who bears a false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. You see, you can smite or strike another person, deal the death blow without ever touching them. The tongue inflicts devastating and even greater wounds than a sword. The most notable example of bearing false witness can be traced to the first sin committed in Genesis chapter 3. It was this sin that brought man to ruin and severed his relationship with God. Genesis 3, 1 through 5. I'm going to just read it to you very quickly. And we're going to see in this account the first instance of bearing false witness or a lie. And this is talking about Satan serpent. He said to the woman, Satan did, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, you, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, Satan was the first one to lie when he told Eve that you will not die, which is kind of true, but it's also false. When we read this account, we come to find out all parties involved in fact, try to justify what they did and even try to blame God. Is it any wonder that Satan is called the father of lies? Jesus talking about Satan in John chapter 8, verse 44 says, He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. As I noted earlier, there are many ways to lie. So let's look at specifically the ninth commandment and unpack what it means to bear false witness. When the ninth commandment talks about false, bearing false witness, as I said earlier, it is in judicial terms, meaning... It was meant to deter those who would bear false witness or testimony against another in a court. When I say witnessing, I'm also including similar terms such as swearing a vow or taking an oath under this category. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 19.15. Deuteronomy 19 on page 162. Let's look at what God had to say specifically in his law about bearing false witness. Deuteronomy 19, 
verse 15. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The, judge, the judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit such an evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So when an Israelite witnessed a crime of, or injustice, it was his responsibility to speak up. It was his responsibility to be accurate in giving testimony. And for the witness, it meant that if he did not testify or if he lied, as Scripture tells us, he would incur the same punishment as the guilty party. Right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life. In their justice system, the burden of proof was placed largely on the accused. Thus, the accused had to prove their innocence. This is opposite of what we have in our justice system today, right? We are innocent until proven guilty. They didn't have street cameras and technology and, and cell phones to record anything. Their only evidence was the word of another person. Which is why there was such a high value placed on their word, on what they said, on what they communicated. So being a witness was not a light burden by any means because there was potentially another life at stake. If you study God's character, one of his attributes is justice, right? So it makes that sense that he would establish such a standard for his people. Justice originates from God. God is just. God is the author of all laws. Therefore, justice must be held in high regard. God's justice and righteousness go hand in hand. They're synonymous. When we lie, according to Scripture, we are sinning. And sin is lawlessness, right? This is contrary to God's character, and he cannot allow such an offense of sin to ever be in his presence. He's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. And since God is morally perfect, his judgment is the application of justice to moral situations. Let me repeat that. Since God is morally perfect, his judgment is the application of justice to moral situations. God in his wisdom and justice established a system where justice is to be upheld by executing judgment for lawlessness. But at the same time, there is value in the life and dignity of all involved. Each individual has worth because we are made in the image of God. 
God cares not only about a person's life, but also the worth of a person in their name, in their identity, in their reputation. When you lie, when you lie against another, you deny the accused a fair and just trial. If you remember from last week, Pastor Phil talked on commandment number eight, right? You shall not steal. Ultimately, we're stealing from God, right? That's theft from God. I would submit to you that bearing false witness is also a theft. How is bearing false witness a theft? Well, if a person bears false witness, they are in a sense taking away justice. The rightful due process, the value or worth of life is at stake. They're taking that away from another person. They're also taking away their reputation. Their character of the individual is greatly harmed. Do you see how the, the whole notion of justice or the judicial system can break down if the witnesses or the witness are not held to the highest standard? Telling the truth ensured the protection of all those who were involved. And it was also to protect society from spiraling out of control. So we see the importance of not lying from a judicial perspective, right? Let me, look at, let me give you another instance, or let us look at a second way in which we can bear false witness or lie, and that is in our speech, in our daily talk, in our daily life. It's automatic for us when we think about witness or the word witness. It makes sense that we immediately think of the court or a judge or standing before a judge. But we are also witnesses before the almighty judge, right, in our everyday life. Because God is judge and he is our judge, even though we are not necessarily in a courtroom setting with him every day. We see this in scripture as well as other verses and references in, in regard to lying or speaking falsely with our tongue. In Proverbs 10.18, the wisdom lit literature, the writer says this, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Proverbs 20, 12.22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. James, the apostle, talks about the tongue in chapter 3, that it cannot be tamed, and that from the same mouth we bless and we curse. So we have the language of bridling your tongue, of keeping your heart in check, for not speaking evil against your neighbor or against another. So we should do our best not to lie, right? Let me give you a few ways of how and why we lie. I think we all do it. We tell half-truths or a white lie. 
And I think it's a good topic to discuss and to explore in your own personal life. Ambition. For example, at work, being ambitious. How many of you have exaggerated on his or her resume or in your interview just to get ahead of another person, just to make yourself look better than someone else? Fear. When we fear people, fear of rejection, afraid of rejection, we want to fit in. So we lie out of fear. Flattery. Flattery is something we say to someone's face but really don't mean it. I like your hair. You look good in that dress, right? You don't look fat, but I wouldn't say that. <laughs> They're empty words. That's what they are, empty words. How about gossip? The opposite of flattery. Where we say it behind their backs. Did you hear so-and-so? Did you hear what happened with him or her? How often are we quick to speak without verifying the truth? I think our motivation to lie, lie might be out of just fear or avoiding consequence or, or for our comfort. I think that's why we lie. Sometimes it's just easier to lie because it makes for an easier life. The cost is less expensive. And it might be even less burdensome overall. One pastor has said, truth has no degrees or shades. A half-truth is a whole lie, and a white lie is really black. These are just a few of many ways in which we, even in the church or in our own personal lives, where we practice bearing false witness or where we lie. Which in the end, really, when you think about it, is a failure to love God and to love your neighbor. Lying should have no place in our lives. Would you agree? In fact, let me ask you this question. Do you ever have to lie to do God's will? Do you ever have to lie in order to do God's will? Is it ever okay to lie or tell a half-truth or even withhold truth? I think it's important for us to at least address this. I'm not going to go too much into detail, but I think it's important for us to at least skim over this. <clears throat> you know, Scripture gives us instances where people did lie or did not tell complete truth, and it seemed okay. Let me give you a few list of characters. There's, there's a, a whole set of examples, but I just want to touch on a couple of them in the, from the Old Testament, ones that we pretty much know. The Hebrew, Hebrew midwives in Egypt in Exodus, when Pharaoh told them to kill all the firstborn male children. Rahab. You definitely know about Rahab, right? How she hid the, the spies in the book of Joshua when they came into Jericho. Or even David, pretending to be mad, crazy, when he was dealing with Saul and running from his enemy in 1 Samuel. Most theologians say that there is no place for lying. But one theologian has argued that there is a place for lying if it is against the enemy of God. 
specifically lying against an enemy of God who seeks to execute evil and wickedness against the innocent, this can be justified. What do you think about that? You see, these characters in Scripture misled the enemy without incurring any condemnation. And sometimes they were even commended. So the Bible does justify deception in certain cases. But notice, when you look at these cases, all have to do with the promotion of God's justice against the wicked. It is a promotion of God's justice against the wicked. So, for example, in the case of Rahab hiding the spies in Jericho, right? She lied to protect them. And as a result, God executed justice against the wicked people of Jericho. The reputation of the innocent should be protected. It should be a priority over the destruction of any life. Especially when it's malicious and the motive is to harm or hurt hurt another person. But this is also a gray area because not every example fits so nicely in this little argument. So I would suggest taking the higher road and encourage us to live a life above reproach by speaking the truth. In fact, there is such a big contrast between the situation of those in the examples in Scripture to our lives today when you think about it. Today, as we were talking about earlier, we have so many freedoms. We live in a country where, by God's grace and mercy, we experience freedom, an abundance of freedom, where we do not face such persecution and violence that would fit the examples of fighting a destructive enemy of God. So in the context of what Scripture presents, today in our, in our American society, today where we live, We really don't have a reason to lie. We don't. We don't have a reason to lie in order to fulfill God's will or to promote God's will. My point is this. In general, we must practice the principle of truth with a desire to uphold justice. But our motives should be ultimately to honor God. So if our motivation is to lie out of convenience or to protect our own interests or to make life easier, then I would suggest that you reevaluate or reconsider your motivation. And this begins with what is in our hearts. So instead of what motivates us to lie, we must focus on what should motivate us to speak the truth. even at the expense of consequences. Even at the expense of consequences. Out of the abundance of the heart, the the mouth speaks. What you put in is what comes out, right? What you love is what you will express. So what is in your heart? If you want to speak the truth, then you must love the truth. Not just for the sake of morality, but because of our sincere love for God and for our neighbor. We are to be imitators of truth, and we are to speak the truth in love because God is love. 
This brings us to our second point. What is truth? What should motivate us to speak truth? First, we talked about what is bearing a false witness from a judicial point witness as well as in our speech. Now we're going to talk about what is truth. You remember Pilate asked one of the most famous questions recorded in Scripture in John 18.38. What was that question? What is truth? Let me give you a quick definition of truth so that we're all on the same page as we discuss truth. It's a little technical. The Greek word for truth is althea, which literally means to unhide or hiding nothing. The Hebrew word for truth is emeth, which means firmness, constancy, and duration. In simple terms, let's simplify this, truth is saying or telling it like it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. Kind of sounds like I am that I am, right? It is what it is. Truth is, or truth defined, is that there is no other option. No ulterior motive, no other viewpoint, nothing hidden but open, available, constant, real. This is truth. It is what it is. Do you know what prompted Pilate to ask this question? What is truth? I think it's important for us to look at the verse before in John chapter 18, verse 31, or 37, excuse me. You can turn there if you would like, but I'm just going to read it to you very quickly. John 18, 37. Jesus answered, For this reason I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He came to bear witness to the truth because he is the truth. You remember the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? Earlier we read Matthew 25, 57 to 66. This was Jesus' own testimony at his trial. For bitch, by the way, where he was falsely accused by false witnesses orchestrated by the Pharisees, right? If the fictional story that I alluded to earlier, the story about the rejection of the truth and the lack of justice, if that made you upset, which I know it made me upset, if that made you upset, I would hope that as you think about the trial of Christ, it would infuriate you. as we should be angry at discrimination, um, racial injustice or inequality of a black man or any other man wrongly accused, how much more, how much more offended should we be at the fact that the God-man was wrongly accused? That he was treated unjustly by evil men. 
You want to talk about a mockery of the justice system. An example of a circus at its best with a bunch of clowns pretending to be religious leaders. And a cowardly judge with no backbone. This was the antithesis of the ninth commandment. And this was displayed at the trial of Jesus. In fact, the whole of the Ten Commandments where the Jewish leaders not only displayed hatred for God, but hatred for their neighbor all in one. So possibly the question that Pilate should have asked in order to understand truth is not so much what is truth, but who is truth. And this is the question that we must ask today in to, to fully understand or comprehend the motive behind why we must speak the truth. As I said earlier that one of the attributes of God is justice, right? Well, another attribute of God is that he is truth. In fact, Isaiah tells us that he is a God of truth and that it is impossible for him to lie. We saw earlier, God is just, and justice originates from God. So truth must originate from somewhere, and Scripture tells us that it, orig it originates from God as well. <clears throat> so if God is truth, think through this with me. If God is truth, and his son Jesus is truth, and the message of hope and redemption that Jesus brought to the world is truth, then it is logical to conclude that if you have put your faith and trust in the messenger and the message of truth, then you would desire to live and express that truth in your own life. Did you get that? If God is truth, his son Jesus is the truth, and the message of hope and redemption that Jesus brought to the world is truth, then it is logical to conclude that if you have put your faith and trust in the messenger and the message of the truth, then you would desire to live and express that truth in your own life. You would be motivated to speak truth because that truth now lives in you through his spirit. We are now witnesses that bear the seal of truth that has been placed on us when he saved us from a world of lies and eternal separation. I think so often we forget that the Ten Commandments were not given to Israel so that Israel would then be accepted by God as his chosen people. And Pastor Phil has alluded to that in the past. God has already chosen Israel at this point before he even gave the law. The law was given so that, as a result, Israel could enjoy him, so that they could honor him, so they could reflect him and his character to others. In the same way, I think we are not given these commandments as a way for us to become worthy before God or work our way up to God, but we're given these commandments as a result of us being chosen and saved by God to know the truth and to reflect his character to others. This should be our motivation for why we love our God and why we must exhibit truth in our own lives. The Apostle John makes it very clear in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. He says that if we know him, 
and yet we do not follow him in obedience to his commandments, then the truth is not in us. Be careful, dear friends, not to bear false witness against the Father or against the work and the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. When you do not practice and live in truth, you are defaming his name. You are slandering his character. You are dishonoring his reputation. And in so doing, in so doing, you are bringing judgment upon yourself. I, I don't say that to be a killjoy. This is what the word of God says. Earlier, we looked at Jesus and what he had said when it comes to talking about what comes out of our mouths, right? I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. I think this is really important for us to look at this again. Matthew chapter 12, it is on page 818. Actually, H17, sorry. <laughs> Matthew 12, verses 34 and 35. But I also want us to look at verses 36 and 37. That's the more important one. He's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance, out of, the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasures brings forth evil. This is what I want you to understand. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account of every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Paul echoes the words of Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5.10. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. So you see, truth matters. What comes out of your mouth matters. What's in your heart matters. I'm not, I'm not asking you to, to live a perfect life. We can't. But we must live by faith in the work of what Jesus has done for us, and we must try to live a life consistent with his character which is truth. I leave you with this final thought, uh, an observation, if you will. When you observe the life of Jesus in Scripture, we see how he expressed his love for his Father and for the truth in his life. Jesus freely gave him of himself in submission and obedience to the will of the Father right? He held nothing back but gave his life for us as a ransom. He was clear in his teaching and in his actions that there is no other way to God except through him. His devotion and love for the Father was his ultimate mission, to glorify God. We are, in the same way, to live a life that represents Christ in our own life, by what comes out of our mouth. 
If you understand this, if Christ is your motivation, then you will be motivated to tell the truth or speak the truth freely, not ever feeling forced. That you would speak truth fully, not holding anything back in your answer. That you would speak truth clearly, so there are no doubts or questions. And that you would do it because you love him, out of your devotion to him, because you represent him. If there is anyone here this morning who is still searching for the truth, dear friend, look no further. Our God is truth. Our God has revealed himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Study his word, and I promise you, you will find what you seek, the truth. You can find your meaning and purpose in life as he is the creator of your life. You know, one day, as we read, the Bible tells us that we will all come into his court. We will come into the court of God, and we will give an account. On that day, you will not be able to escape the truth. There will be no false witnesses against you or against one another. But you will be accountable for all that you say, all that you have said or have not said. I hope, I pray, dear friend, that when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, that you will have the confidence that even though you have failed and faltered in speaking truth at all times, the author of truth will step forward and declare, this is my child. He or she is mine. And I can bear witness to his or her life and that they represented me well. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we Father, we come before you just thanking you for your truth. You are truth. All that you represent is truth. Your son is truth. Your word is truth. It is right in front of our faces. Lord, help us to see it. Help us to be motivated to live this truth. Thank you that you have revealed it to us. Father, may we go out and live a life that is pleasing and honoring to you, proclaiming the truth to others who don't see it, who are blinded, who are still living in a lie and deception. Ultimately, Father, and in the end, to honor you and to glorify you. Amen.